Good morning. The scripture this morning will be Titus 1, 10 through 16. Titus 1, 10 through 16, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit, unfit for any good work. Talk about an uplifting scripture reading, right? <laughs> I wanted to read all of that before we got into our sermon today, because that's the context we find ourselves in the book of Titus, chapter 1, towards the very end. And the reason why that's so important to know is because chapter 2, verse 1, has a contrasting opening line, meaning in contrast to all that terrible stuff we just read about this particular group in the congregation in Crete, we've got the qualifications, you might say, of regular church members, if there is such a thing. So far in our study of church structure, we talked about the government, if you will, of the church, talk about the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, the pastors, that particular group of individuals, different names, same qualifications and things that we see that they, they are to do within the body of Christ. We talk about the special servants or the deacons of the church that do the will and the work of the eldership. And then we talked about my job, the guy who's to stand before you and you have to pretend to listen for 30 minutes while I talk. A bit more than that, but that's the, the gist of it, right? Showing you the word of God, opening it up unto you, and to showing you what God's word says about various things. Our conversation today kind of changes. It goes from the folks that we can easily recognize, the elders, the deacons, the preacher or minister, and it goes to the church members. Now, I want to back up here and look at the overall layout of Titus chapter 1 and chapter 2 with you to give you an idea of where we find ourselves. Sometimes you can miss the forest forest for the sake of the trees, right? You get so focused in and detailed on one specific aspect that it's hard for us to pan back and see the big picture. So if we look into our text, I believe I have a slide that has the entirety of what I want to talk about. There it is. <laughs> I know it's small. You're not supposed to be able to read that, but I use color in my personal Bible to kind of contrast the sections that are there. So don't be overwhelmed. That's just an idea of where we transition from one thought to the next. It begins, really, with Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, the island in the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean Paul says, 
so that you might put what remained into order and appoint, every, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then in the green section, we transition to here's what an elder looks like. So Titus was to go in the Isle of Crete to find the congregations and to put in order those things that were lacking. And one thing that a church is lacking is that they do not have qualified, mature men as elders of that congregation. And then we transition in blue in the text to what we just read as our scripture reading. Why is it so important that these elders are in place? Why is it lacking, so-called, if a church doesn't have proper God-defined leadership? Because there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially though those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. You have false teachers on the Isle of Crete that are literally turning these Christian families upside down because they're greedy for money, talking about things of which they know nothing. That's why it's so important that Titus, in his job of appointing qualified, well-respected, mature overseers, bishops, pastors of the flock, is to stop this group of people that were going and destroying the church on this island. Now I say all of that to say, and our text for today is in yellow. Again, you shouldn't be able to read that. I can barely read it. But I want to show you the overall passage and the flow of the context when we change from here's your purpose, verse 5, here's what you're to do, verses 6 through 9, here is why you are to do it, verses 10 through 16. And then chapter 2, verse 1, here is the overall support network that you have within a congregation of the Lord's people. Everybody with me? I know it's a lot. Stick with me. I promise it's going to pay off at the end, I hope. So, here we are in chapter 2 of Titus, verse 1. We know what Titus' mission was. We know what the eldership was all about. We know why they were so important. And then here's that support network of the congregation, which we, in Thomaston Road, must have to be a healthy, strong, and connected congregation of the Lord's body. So quit picking on the elders. I already did that for you. Quit picking on the deacons. I picked on myself a good bit last week. Now it's my turn to pick on you a little bit. Are you ready for it? So in the same kind of way that I used qualifications in quotes for the elders, I feel like it gives you an overall spiritual picture of what a person's life, spiritual life, should look like. In the same vein of that, Titus gets a lesson. Now, I'm the one talking now. Tell Siri to be quiet. So we have, in Titus chapter 2 and following, a list of so-called qualifications of church members. Now, we have four different categories about which we'll be discussing this morning. We have older men... You know who you are. Older women, you know who you are. Younger women, you might not know who you are. 
And then young men, and I definitely know who you are. Again, I'm not going to tell you to which category you belong, but I will say when it comes to the Greek language, older men somewhere around 60, I'll leave it there, young men somewhere around your 30s. So whatever age group to which you define yourselves, pay attention to your section especially when we get to the actual text. So in contrast, verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1, to what these false teachers are doing, destroying the spiritual lives of the Christians on Crete, in contrast to that, chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, Titus, teach that which accords with sound doctrine. Now that's the most Church of Christ line I've ever read. <laughs> sound doctrine. The old test used to be, well, I know a church down that area we're going vacationing in. Are they sound? I guess. Don't know what you mean by that, but it's a biblical term, right? You teach sound doctrine. True teaching is the real meaning of that. Not that fancy, right? True teaching. Here is what is true teaching for Titus in this situation. Beginning in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. If you're looking for what qualifies you to be a good Christian as an older man, that list is non-exhaustive, but it is a good starting place. The intention for me to break down what a church looks like is to give us easily definable goals for which we can reach. The idea of looking at yourself in the mirror in a spiritual sense and seeing where you would like to be in the future, if you're not there already, that's why we're doing this. So if you're an older man, you know who you are, look at yourself that spiritual lens. Are you a clear-thinking individual? As much as you're able, anyway. Are you someone who is dignified? Are you someone who has a good self of self-control? Are you someone who is sound or true in your faith, in your love, and your perseverance or steadfastness? If that defines you, then you can just tune me out for the rest of the day, okay? But for me, trying to reach that goal when I'm an older man, to be that kind of person, be, to be defined in that way, is what Titus's job is. Give them a goal that they can reach. A picture of who they should look like. And the answer is always Jesus, by the way. But more specifically, these are the details. Now, in the context here... I have one quote here I want to read for you about the idea of these older gentlemen. Paul believed that the older men should manifest because of their chronological maturity. That's a very polite way to say, old guys. <laughs> that they should be as spiritually mature as examples for others. When you see someone who's been a Christian for 15, 20, 25 30, 40, 50 years, 
there should be a sense of progress in their spiritual maturity. As someone gets older chronologically, there should be a growth and development of their maturity in Christ. That's the goal for you. If you're in that category, that's what we're shooting for. Now, unfortunately, maybe you know some of these people too, but in my time in the pulpit, I've come in contact with folks that have been Christians for, they would say, 40 plus years. When it comes to their spiritual depth and their relationships with others, they are infantile. And it's a shame because the Bible submits to us that as we grow and we mature, we should be more Christ-like as time permits. And so again, an attainable goal for us that's not without toil and work and life. Now, moving on to verse 3, we have our second category of individuals. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, comma, in the English. <laughs> we'll pause there just for the moment. So you have the older men who are to be dignified, self-controlled, and they are the epitome, if you will, of someone who shows you what faith love, and steadfastness or perseverance is. That's a good goal for them to reach. Older women, we have the same goal of looking like Christ, but more specifically, and even culturally in the first century, it looks like this. To be reverent in behavior. And that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us in the English. But what I will say, if you go back to the Greek language, and you find just that clause, reverent in behavior, it's just one word. And that one word is used on inscriptions in the first century in the Greek language of a person who was a priestess of a temple, and they behaved like a priestess of the temple. You may have an image forming in your mind already of what that looks like physically. When it comes to someone's character, it's a bit harder to define. And so when you see someone who is a female who's been a Christian for a long period of time, they should look and act like one, is the idea. Same thing for men, same thing for women. Not slanderers. Now, interestingly, diabolos is the Greek word here. That might sound familiar to you because the devil, or Satan himself, is defined by that main attribute, the slanderer is the Satan from the Hebrew. Now, if we look at what this really means is you're not someone who slanders other people. This also implies that this is the ultimate moral vice that can be achieved when you're working with people. I'm not sure if you can recognize this, but more often than not, more often than not, men like to work with things and stuff that may be true about your profession. There's a lot of guys in here that I would call if I had a thing or had stuff that didn't work the right way, I'd call them to probably help me. And I've also found on the same flip side of that coin, if I've got a problem with people or a relationship, I usually go to women. No offense, men. <laughs> but they seem to have a better natural nuance to how to deal with people and relationships. That's why we look into verse 3, not 
slanderers because more often than not, they work with people and relationships. That's the degradation morally of someone else that is a person or has a relationship. That's the temptation. Or, literally here, slaves, that's the same word, by the way, for doulos, the idea of a servant or a slave, slaves too much wine. The same exact qualification when it comes to the male elder as well in the previous context. Why is that mentioned here for the women but not for the men? Well, again, culturally, more often than not, the women had more access to the kitchen. This is not the case nowadays, don't get me wrong, but when they had the access to the wine to prepare for the families, that could be a temptation for them. So Paul wisely, through the Holy Spirit, instructs Titus, here are the things that they should be careful about in their spiritual life. And they are to be teachers of what is good. This is not the word didasco. The word didasco means to teach with authority. This is the idea of instruct. It's a softer, more subtle term, the idea of showing by example or showing someone on the side in a literal sense. So what are they to teach? Verse 4, our third category for the morning. They are to train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, what in the world? <laughs> are we just talking about here? How are older wives and mothers supposed to teach and train younger wives and mothers to love their children and their husbands? Shouldn't that be a part of who they are already? Well, yes, that should be a part of the relationship already. This Greek phrase, to love your husbands and children, that word love is not the kind of love that you may think at first glance. It's not eros, which we get the word erotic from. That's, that word's never used in Scripture. So it's not sexual in nature. It's not even agape, the kind of love that God has for us in which God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The word that agape literally kind of renders out as, I want what is best for you. It's not even that. It's the word phileo. And what that does is it shows us when you are a wife, when you are a mother, how do you love your children? How do you love your husband? How is that relationship not only formed but sustained? Now, I'm going to ask a question to all the women here who are married or have children. Do you love your families? All the time? <laughs> I think some of you see my point. For some reason, it's not always possible to have that overflowing affection like we had on our wedding day. Or that overcoming joy and pride when we give birth to our children. Sometimes we just have a difficult time with our husbands and our children. What I'm trying to say is this. Paul is not saying, older women, you need to teach the younger women because they don't know how to love their families. What Paul is saying here is, if you are a woman 
and you've lived with the same guy for a couple of decades, and you've helped rear some wonderful children, even through hardship, the younger women need your expertise. They need your experience. They need to learn from other examples, and that is who you are to be. Is that clear enough? You are an asset to the young mothers and wives and future mothers and wives of the church. You are needed. You are valuable. Don't ever forget that you are that. Oh, guys, you're okay, too. All right? To train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, and here's the next one that will get you in trouble, working at home. Now, again, in the culture of the first century, the idea of having a woman who is also a business person was not out of the scope of possibility. If you'll remember the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she was also a businesswoman. So what is Paul trying to say here? That they should be only housewives? By no means. Literally, the idea of working at home literally means busy at home. That same Greek word that meant they were busy bodies in other people's affairs. And we have elders who are to be literally busy bodies in your affairs as part of their qualifications. You are to be busy when it comes to your home or your family unit. Now, I want to mention why that's so important. Over in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14, I'll read one verse, and that will give you some context what we're talking about here. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14, similar area, a pastoral epistle written from Paul to a young preacher about how the church is to operate. So I would have the younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. He's talking about a functional, operational family unit, and who is really, you might say, in charge of all those aspects. From God's perspective, who is ultimately spiritually responsible for his family? The head of the wife, the husband. But when it comes to a practical, pragmatic sense of who gets things done in the house, who's busy in the house, in the family unit, I don't know about your dynamic, but I know what my dynamic is. I sometimes get made fun of, rightfully, for many things, but the one I'm talking about right now is this. When someone says, hey, are you available to do whatever on this day at this time? I go, let me ask my boss. And they go, don't you know the husband is the head of the wife? I'm like, don't you know that I don't have any control over my calendar? I have been signed up for things I didn't even know existed, and I'm just there. Women, you have this gift. I don't know how you got it. God must have given it to you. When it comes to getting things done around the house, guys are okay. When it comes to making sure your family unit, your household, is a well-oiled machine, women have that ability. You have that gift. And because of that, you are to be busy at home. Use that gift that God gave you for his glory and for our benefit, all of our collective benefit. You are to be kind. 
and then submissive to your own husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 goes into much more detail about that dynamic. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Guys, that means that you have to love your wife even so much that you would die for her. And then just short of that, you sometimes have to wash dishes, okay? <laughs> Women, you're to respect your husbands and be submissive to them as Christ is to the church because that's the way God organized not just the church but the family to operate well. Be submissive to your own husbands, and here's the kicker, that the word of God may not be reviled. If you say, see a well-functioning, proper Christian household from the outside, you think, well, that's a, that's a good family. They're working well together. They're not perfect, but they have something going on with their spiritual life that makes their physical life better. If you don't have a well-functioning Christian family unit, the world will look at that and say, well, they can't even get their family right. My family's better than how they operate. This whole Christianity thing must be a mistake. So Paul's trying to avoid. And that was happening, if you remember, in the Isle of Crete with those families. Let's go back to our original text, Titus chapter 10, verse 11. What is going wrong with the church in Crete? Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. That wouldn't take place if you've got a husband as defined in chapter 2, verse 2. This would not happen if you have a proper wife as defined in chapter 2, verse 3. An older family or a younger family, they have that structure, they have that foundation in place that a false teacher can't go in there and turn them upside down because they're just too Christ-like to be veered off that path. Going back to our text. Young guys, whoever you think you are, that's you. <laughs> Likewise, in the same fashion, Henna, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, I don't know about you, but I once was a young guy. In a lot of ways, I still kind of am, especially mentally. <laughs> the idea of just getting yourself under control is a huge obstacle. Have you ever heard about a young man that he's just out of control? That's the opposite of what Christ is trying to tell us here in the scripture. What's a good, realistic goal for young men to do well in the church? Just control yourself. It's difficult, but it's possible. And here is where Titus steps in. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, that's Didasco, show integrity. You mean something and your word means something. Dignity, you stand for something. And sound speech that cannot be condemned. You have something to say. That's a good goal to achieve. Here's the reason. So that an opponent 
may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The same exact reason as wives are to look like that when they're young and even to their aged state is to not cause offense to the Christian way of life. Young men, why is it so important that you control yourself? So, because they know you're Christians and you don't want to tarnish the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important. And then we move on to the last section. And sometimes I'll hear people talk about this last section. I think the next slide may have a clearer image, Vicki. Not quite sure about that. There we go. Is that more legible? Okay. I know. Stick with me. Verse 9. Many people I've heard teach this text say this is talking about us as employees now or employers. And while there is some truth to that, again, remember the original context in which we find this particular passage. Now, we don't have slaves nowadays, and thank God for that. But in the first century, they did in the Roman world. So let's examine what that would have looked like under those ideals we talked about thus far and see what the point is. Let's do that first. Verse 9, bond servants or slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, non-argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Here's the reason so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The meaning is the exact same as the last two. Young women, young men, live in such a way that you enhance the name of Christianity by the way you live. Slaves do the exact same thing. Stepping back from the text for just a moment, a reminder as to why we're doing this study and what it means for you what it means for me. We may not be in that category of an elder, and you may never be in that role. You may not be a deacon in that office, and you may never be. You may not be a preacher right now, and you may never be. But you are one of these four things. And so the encouragement for you and for me is to see the goal in front of us. Who are we to look like? And then properly understand why are we to look that way. It makes our lives run smoother, more Christ-like. It makes our family healthier and stronger, more functioning. And your family blesses the church. There are families here that I know work well. And I know that because I've had to call on them for help with something spiritual in mind. And because they have a well-functioning individual, a well-functioning family, and they are part of a well-functioning body of Christ here in Thomaston Road, we can work together to bring glory to God and His Word. If a single part of that dynamic is removed... We have to minister to you. You can't minister or serve others as efficiently or as effectively. That's why we're talking about this. Because we have a lot of potential in this area. And we have a lot of individuals that are solid, mature Christians. 
that are a part of wonderful family dynamics the way God intended. But, folks, we have a lot of work to do. To do. To adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ by living well, as Paul told Titus to tell all these other folks. Live well to bring as many souls as possible with us to the heavenly way. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation because you are not found faithful in Christ, either you've not begun your journey or you're someone who has wandered back into darkness, a life of sin, you see the path before us, the one the Savior trod for us. Let's restore you before him in the heavenly places this very morning.